following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Forever in Glory by Richard Jensen from his album Worship. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English spelling for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on or about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. In this episode, we will begin part two of the Bible, A Message from God to Man. By way of review, beginning in the previous episode, Part 1, we took up the challenge to conduct a summary overview of the Bible to determine its veracity, reliability, and authenticity. We proposed through our survey to come to one of three possible inevitable conclusions regarding the veracity of the Bible. 1. The Bible is completely false and an erroneous book. 2. We don't have enough information to know whether the Bible is reliable or not. Or three, the Bible is reliable and trustworthy as to what it says. When we initiated our study of the Bible in part one, I suggested an approach to our understanding of the integrity of the Bible in terms of the acrostic tape, that's T-A-P-E. By reminder, the acrostic tape is analogous to four legs or pillars of a stool. The first leg is textual integrity. The second leg is archaeological integrity. The third leg is prophetical integrity, and the fourth leg is evidence of changed lives. When we finished part one of our survey, we had just concluded a discussion of the first leg, T, textual integrity. In this episode, part two, we continue our survey of the reliability and authenticity of the Bible with the letter A. A is the second leg of biblical reliability, which stands for archaeological integrity. Now, as we discuss the Bible as it relates to its uh, reliability in terms of its archaeological aspects, we must recall and remember that the Bible has been ridiculed and dismissed in both past and recent times as inaccurate and unreliable. 
At one time, it was not uncommon for skeptics to say that many of the places, events, and personages were mythological and or without historical merit. Over the passage of time, archaeology has time and again uncovered the tangible evidences of these supposed imaginary people, places, and events, exactly when and where the Bible said they would be. Examples of this include the altar of Joshua at Mount Ebal, mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 27. On April 6, 1980, Adam Zertal, a Ph.D. professor of archaeology from the University of Hoffa, was doing a formal archaeological survey of the traditional lands of Manasseh and discovered a Hebrew altar that dated to 1250 B.C. Zertal found ashes in the center of the altar which were examined and discovered to contain 950 plus bones from about 50 to 100 individual sheep, goat, and cattle, all of which were one-year-old males. He found pottery dating to the 13th century at the time of the Exodus with Egyptian scarabs, which goes a long way to show that, in fact, there was a place called the Altar of Joshua at Mount Ebal, exactly where the book of Joshua found in the Bible mentions. Also, we have the Gilgal stones from Jordan mentioned in Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Again, this is an area where the Israelites first camped after they crossed the Jordan River. Dr. Adam Zertal used the Bible to locate the area exactly where it was described some 3,000 years ago. In the above passages uh, from Joshua, God commands the Israelites to take one stone from each of the twelve tribes for a total of twelve as a memorial for crossing the Jordan River. In verse 9, Joshua sets up the twelve stones as commanded as a place where they lodged. Zertal found an area there matching the exact measurements necessary for the tabernacle in the wilderness. Then we have the fallen walls of Jericho, mentioned in Joshua chapter 6. In the late 1990s, a continuous series of Egyptian scarabs were found and dated with inscriptions on the bottom. These unbroken series of scarabs dated from the 18th century BC until Israel's conquest. There were grain bins which were still full of grain, which is consistent with the biblical account of the conquest which took place around the time of the harvest. Also, God had commanded the Israelites not to take anything from the city during the overthrow. The entire wall surrounding Jericho was in fallen rubble except for one portion of the wall on the north side. This portion of the wall still has the remains of a home which was part of it. If you read the story in Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 14 of Rahab, in verse 15 we find, quote, Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. One cannot help being struck by the fact that we have what appears to be a house on the wall, which is still standing, which is consistent with, again, the account in the Bible, clearly outlined in the book of Joshua. Again, there was a time when some thought that Jericho was a fictitious or mythological place. Then we have Balaam's inscription, found in Numbers chapter 22. And we have a archaeological find at Tel Der Allah, which is in Jordan, where there was found an Amorite administration building. And, as you will recall, the Amorites were the enemies of the Israelites. 
on the plaster covering this administration building was found Amorite writings, one of which was the story of the prophet Balaam, which is again a story which is highly contested and made fun of by the skeptics and is not supposed to have existed at all since it's mythological. But here we have it listed by not the Israelites and not by friends of the Bible, but rather by the Amorites who were the enemies of Israel. We have the fortified gates of Solomon, mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 15. According to the text, Solomon built fortified gates at Hazer, Megiddo, and Gezer. All three locations have been archaeologically located in the places specified according to the Bible, and pottery has been found at those sites which can be dated to the time of Solomon. So again, something which many thought was not supposed to exist because it was mythological, because it was a legend, is again found to be an actual geographical place. Then we have the oldest Hebrew text from Jeremiah's time, which was found in 1979. This text was found in Jerusalem at the present location of St. Andrew's Scottish Presbyterian Church. Uh, At that location, archaeologists found two silver amulets from the end of the First Temple period. That would be approximately 7th century B.C. These amulets had inscriptions on them which ultimately quote the entire chapter context of Numbers chapter 6. These amulets are from Jeremiah's time, approximately 400 years prior to the Dead Sea Scrolls, and are precisely like the text of number 6, which we have today. Again, confirmation that, going back to our first topic of textual integrity, that the Bible we have today is at least 95% or better accurate as to the original writings. We have the City of David. Archaeologists have found 14th century cuneiform tablets, administration buildings, 51 seals with 26 biblical characters, as well as Joab's water shaft, the Gihon Spring, a coronation site, the Pool of Melchizedek, Hezekiah's tunnels, the Tower of Siloam, Hezekiah's walls, Nehemiah's rebuilt walls, the tombs of David and Solomon, the Pool of Siloam, and the stairs from the temple to the pool, all of which are supposed to be mythological and uh, hypothetical stories which were made up and were not supposed to have existed at all. Yet here we have confirmation of these exact places, exactly where the Bible said that they were in great detail. We have King Solomon's Wall. The archaeologist Eliat Mazar led a dig for the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, Mazar found a wall 230 feet long and about 20 feet tall. The wall stands along what was the edge of Jerusalem between the Temple Mount. The stone barrier is part of a defense complex that includes a gatehouse, an adjacent building, and a guard tower. The wall matches a wall described in the Book of Kings built by Solomon, king of Israel. Ceramics found near the wall have helped to narrow the date down to the second half of the 10th century BC, which is exactly the time of King Solomon. Then we have the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
These are supposed to, again, be mythological uh, cities made up by uh, zealous people in the Bible to scare us for whatever reason. And, in fact, Sodom and Gomorrah have been located by archaeologists mentioned in the book of Genesis, chapter 19. And these have been confirmed as being destroyed during the lifetime of the ancient patriarch Abraham, just as the Bible said that they were. Now, this is slightly off the beaten track from archaeologists. However, as a side note, we can take the genealogies found in Genesis and in Numbers to start with, and the details of these genealogies found in these accounts, again, prove the Bible to be a compilation of amazing and accurate historical details, because in many cases we can find details of these genealogies in other accounts, which match precisely what are found in Genesis and Numbers, lo and behold. Again, something which tells us that these are not mythological, but actual historical personages. Then again, we have recently, that being 2008 to 2013, the National Geographic Society sponsored a genetic study to prove, once and for all, absolutely, whether man has a single common ancestor, such as Adam, or if, as it has been stated many times before, man descended from a large group of evolving primates that numbered in the thousands. This study surveyed people from all around the world, checking the variations in their Y, the male chromosomes, and it proved beyond a doubt what earnest Bible students have known all along, that the Bible was right, and we all did, in fact, descend from a single man whom they dubbed, quote, the scientific Adam, unquote. It was interesting that while researching this topic to come up with several examples of archaeological integrity, that I came across a post on a blog written by one skeptic researcher and directed to another who was presumably more educated, more well-researched than the first skeptic. The first skeptic had come across one of the archaeological finds detailed above and was having difficulty reconciling the clear evidence which was conflicting with the mainstream teachings which pervade the agnostic and atheist secular teachings, doubtless which he had received concerning the entire Bible and all of its stories as being fables, myths, stories from uneducated and unsophisticated shepherds in the desert. So the first blogger asks the second blogger, quote, Have you seen this? How do we explain this evidence? Unquote. The second responded, quote, So what? It doesn't mean anything. I'm sure there are, quote, tons, unquote, of things in the Bible we can find which are true, unquote. This summarizes the typical, classic, prevailing, and reoccurring theme of the professional skeptic. Insofar as proof is concerned, first, you deny that there is any. Second, when there is proof that is found, deny the legitimacy and or the relevancy of it. Third, when the existence, legitimacy, and relevancy are undisputed, then deny sufficiency. And fourth, when all else fails, change the subject and start the process over again. So, in conclusion, with regard to the topic of the letter A, which stands for archaeological integrity, we find that as opposed to the Bible being a series of myths, fables, stories from uneducated and unsophisticated shepherds in the desert trying to relay their superstitions to the surrounding communities, 
we find that instead that the Bible, in fact, gives us specificity time and time again as to historical persons, places, and events which can be found exactly where the Bible said that they would be found. So all that one can do is to say either we're not going to accept that there's enough, but we can no longer say that we have none we have to shift from none to saying that the evidence which exists is either insufficient or is inconclusive. This is a neutral stance, not a negative stance. I would submit that with what we have, which is in direct correlation and confirmation to the Bible, with the level of precision that we have, that we move from neutrality to saying that we have a high level of archaeological evidence to support the Bible's reliability and its authenticity. Leaving archaeological integrity, we next move to the third leg of our stool or pillar, which is the letter P, which stands for prophetical integrity. Again, with the subject of prophetical integrity, or more simply, prophecy, skeptics and critics say, again, that the Bible is an ancient book, some 2,000 to 3,000 years old, written by illiterate, superstitious shepherds, and is full of myths, superstitions, and mistakes. Today, we deal with science, facts, evidence, since the writers of the Bible did not have scientific understanding, the things they wrote cannot be trusted. Now as we look at the Bible, we start to realize in taking a summary overview that about 30% of the Bible's contents concern prophecy, that is, foretelling the future ahead of time. There are estimated to be a total of about 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. Approximately 2,000 of these prophecies have already been fulfilled. Others estimate there are approximately 500 prophecies which are yet future, and there are approximately 371 predictions or prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, each of the prophecies regarding the Messiah were written at least 600 to 800 years before Jesus lived. Now, the prophecies specifically regarding the Messiah, Jesus Christ, I will save for another presentation. But here is a general brief overview of some of the prophecies in general. 1. Isaiah predicted 150 years before the birth of Cyrus that an individual named Cyrus would destroy Babylon and subdue Egypt. 2. Jeremiah predicted that the land of Edom, that is Jordan, would become a barren, uninhabited wasteland. Jeremiah 49, 15-20 and Ezekiel 25, 12 through 14. His description accurately tells the history of that now bleak region. 3. Joshua predicted that Jericho would be rebuilt by one man. He also said that that man's eldest son would die when the reconstruction began, and that his youngest son would die when the work reached completion. Joshua 6.26. 4. Jehaziel prophesied that King Jehoshaphat would defeat an army without having to fight. 2 Chronicles 20. 5. About 760 B.C., Amos predicted Israel would be restored as a nation and would never be uprooted again. Amos 9.15. In 1948, Israel became a nation. 6. About 732 B.C., Isaiah predicted that the Medo-Persian Empire would conquer Babylon. Isaiah chapter 13, verses 17-18. through 18, And Babylon would become a wasteland. 
538 BC, this was fulfilled when the Medes took over Babylon. 7. About 732 BC, Isaiah predicted Egypt and Ethiopia would be conquered by Assyria. Isaiah chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. 8. About 701 BC, Isaiah predicted Israel would be taken captive by the Babylonian Empire, found in Isaiah chapter 39. 9. About 589 B.C., Ezekiel predicted the fall of the city of Tyre, Ezekiel chapters 26 and 27. 10. About 543 B.C., Daniel predicted a great Grecian king would conquer the Persian Empire, but would have his kingdom divided four ways after his death, Daniel chapter 8. 11. About 430 B.C., Malachi predicted that Yahweh's name would be honored by the Gentile pagans. Malachi chapter 1 verse 11. 12. About 520 BC, Zechariah and Isaiah predicted that Jerusalem would be a burdensome stone for all people and that all people of the earth would be gathered together against it. Zechariah chapter 12 verses 2 through 3 and Isaiah chapter 41 verses 18 through 20. And finally, 13, about 701 to 681 B.C., Isaiah predicted the turning of the desert land of Israel into an area where rivers flow and where parts ground turns into springs and where trees grow. Since the rebirth of Israel in 1948, there has been the construction of a vast irrigation system to improve farming, and more than 200 million trees have been planted in Israel. Isaiah chapter 41, verses 18 through 20. Having listed but 13 of the hundreds of prophecies which exist in the Old Testament, we have to ask ourselves a basic question. What is the probability of chance that one of these predictions would actually come true? Moreover, what is the probability of chance occurrence that 13 prophecies would come true? If you do the mathematical calculations, we find that the probability of chance that any one person would randomly choose in specificity something to come true and prophesy about it in the future is about 1 in 10 to the 138th power. That is a 10 with 138 zeros next to it. In taking into account that kind of probability, one would have to say that this exceeds the limits of impossibility. So the only conclusion is to either say that these people were extremely lucky, or there was someone behind the scenes who knew the future ahead of time and revealed it to those writers so that those writers could then in turn memorialize those predictions into the prophecies which we find in the Old Testament today. In looking at that mathematical number of 10 to the 138th power and realizing that the the writers who wrote down those prophecies lived dozens if not hundreds of years before the events finally unfolded, we have to ask ourselves a honest question. Can we in all honesty say that a human being who wrote down prophecies which came true to in great detail hundreds of years later Can we say that those same people were illiterate? Can we say that those same people were superstitious? Can we say that the things that they wrote were myths or superstitions or mistakes? I would submit that in contrast the things that they wrote were in fact revelations. Better yet, they were inspired. 
Therefore, the only ultimate conclusion we can come to is that they were not writing on their own, but they were writing as they were moved by the Spirit of God, which is the contention all along from the Bible at the outset. We have now completed three-quarters of our survey into the reliability and veracity of the Bible. We discussed T, which stood for textual integrity, which was the first leg or pillar of our stool. We talked about A, which stands for the archaeological integrity, which is the second leg or pillar. And we discussed P, which stands for prophetical integrity, which is the third leg or pillar. This brings us to the final leg or pillar, which is E, the evidence of changed lives. The central message of the Bible changes lives like no other book written. Arguably tens of thousands of people or more have had their lives fundamentally transformed, in many cases from depressed, destitute, suicidal, meaningless, enslaved conditions, separated from God by their condition of sin, to joy-filled, meaningful, empowered, liberated lives filled with God's purpose and love for them, specifically due to the message and offer of reconciliation found in the Bible. No other piece of literature can be said to have so fundamentally provided the information, truth, and impetus for this kind of positive change in so many for so long. When all of the positive change is considered due to the message of the truth, one can only conclude that the resultant change can only be achieved by recognition of the power which resides in the message and the truth which is infused by God's Holy Spirit in His Word to effect that very change. It is for this purpose that the Bible, God's message to man, was revealed and written. The fact that the Bible has and continues to achieve this stated goal continues to serve as the greatest proof that the Bible's veracity and reliability are intact despite all odds. With these thoughts in mind, this brings us to the conclusion of Part 2 of our study of the Bible, A Message from God to Man. I welcome you to join us again for Part 3 where we will continue our study into the veracity and reliability of the Bible.